This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. We last spoke to Greg Palast on Radio Parallax November 12th, the week after the general election. Few shows we've ever done have gotten such a favorable response from listeners. That was just eight weeks ago. Seems like eight years ago. For decades now, Mr. Powell's has been digging into fraud in the U.S. elections. The bad news is he's found it again and again. But as we discussed in our last chat, there's no connection between such valid findings and the claims made by Donald Trump that the election was stolen from him. Greg was a pioneer in figuring out how the 2000 election was stolen from Al Gore in Florida. He was again on the case in 2004 when the results in Ohio again flipped an election away from a Democrat to George W. Bush. The tireless work of Mr. Powell's has been featured in Rolling Stone, The Guardian, and BBC TV. The book he put out last year, How Trump Stole 2020, was described as a warning, not a prediction. And Trump was going to steal the 2020 election unless steps were taken to thwart him. It can now be said that steps were taken and theft avoided. Greg worked with Stacey Abrams to get out the vote in Georgia and counter the voter suppression there that had stacked the deck in favor of Republicans. We knew we'd want to bring Greg back after the Georgia Senate runoffs January 5th, but before the Biden inauguration. We felt certain we'd have a lot to talk about at this juncture, and boy, do we ever. As we sit down before the microphones, the U.S. House is voting to impeach Donald Trump a second time in the wake of his turning his claims of Democratic election theft into scenes of an armed madhouse in the U.S. Capitol. So let's get talking about these astounding developments the past week. Greg Palace, welcome back. Yeah, great idea. I'm going to write that down, Armed Madhouse. <laughs> well, you know, we couldn't resist that reference to Armed Madhouse because you did write that great book. But the, this spectacle, Trump inciting a crowd armed with baseball bats, hockey sticks, zip ties, ropes, climbing equipment, pepper spray, and we later learned knives, guns, and bombs, storming the Capitol, uh, kind of has reset the bar in American politics. Hey, listen, they have to defend themselves against Mike Pence, right? <laughs> a couple things. And I want to encourage people also to go to gregpalast.com. There's a two-minute report put out. A guy named Ali Alexander, who's roundly identified as the instigator of the march and attack on the Capitol. And you'll see that we are filming him. We have um, Zach D. Roberts, our specialist at the Palace investigative team. He basically spends his time tracking these right-wing hate groups. And he's been focusing on Ali. He's got Ali on camera saying, standing next to Alex Jones, by the way, uh-huh. saying, uh, if they don't make Donald Trump president, we are going to put this whole, I can't say the word, yeah. on fire. We're going to put this whole thing on fire. So he was threatening to, to burn down the buildings in not only Washington, but Georgia, the state house. Now, here's what's interesting about Ali Alexander. He's the head of a, the self-created group Stop the Steal. And that's the group that called for the march on the Capitol. Now, if he's just a renegade nut, well, okay. I mean, uh, that's not great, but you know, there are out-of-control nutcases, and he's in hiding now. But I will say that what we uncovered at the Palace Investigative Fund, you'll see on this two-minute report, is that he was working with, officially, he was part of the Georgia Republican campaign for Metro Atlanta, he was the guy who was the central coordinator and star of their get-out-the-vote program for the Senate runoff, Ali Alexander. Now, understand, 
after we reported his violent threats, that's when the GOP sponsored him as head of their Get Out the Vote campaign. Nice. After we reported on his violent threats to burn <laughs> down the state house in Georgia. Okay, you know, so we called the Republican Party and said, okay, so uh, how many arsonists do you have on your payroll? Uh, got no answer. Uh, then it turns out this is just the beginning. So it's just maybe you think, well, it's just some crazies in the Georgia Republican Party. Well, it goes all the way to Washington. Our guys went undercover and signed up to work with Ali. Who is coming back at us with the information on what you do with uh, working with Ali Alexander and, again, violent, had a stop to steal. The information came from the National Republican Senate Committee, their national campaign. So the National Republicans and the Georgia Republicans were dancing cheek to cheek, working with, sponsoring, promoting Ali Alexander after he made the threats of violence and, of course, carried them out. You have to understand, this is an official Republican character. He's not some renegade out there. Right. That's one. And now here's the new news. ABC and others have reported that, that Ali Alexander and Stop the Steal sponsored the rally with a group called Women for America First. Not true. Alexander had nothing to do with the rally. Rather, he was calling for the march on the Capitol. There was no permit for the march. Uh, the sponsors of the rally said you can't do the march. It is dangerous. Metro police are not ready for this. Well, the park permit doesn't permit it. It violates the laws of Washington, D.C because there's COVID restrictions. You can't just have thousands of people marching down the street. You have to have marshals and control, etc. So they said, can't be done, it's dangerous, knock it off. They were shocked, stunned, and blindsided when one of Ali uh, Alexander's associates said, let's march. And, the mar- and that is a guy named Donald Trump. Great, great. i got to stop you right there, because yeah. I'm watching the video before, the, uh, before this all unfolded, and, right. and they've got a giant sign up that says, Save America March, as Trump is speaking to the rally. Yes. They're using the word march, <laughs> yet they're calling this shades of Iraq some kind of intelligence failure. Well, what's happening is, is that Trump clearly made a decision. You have to understand, Alex Jones said, after all hell broke loose, that he and Ali Rodriguez were contacted by the White House to lead the march to the Capitol. Not permitted. No one was prepared. Not the Metro Police, not the Park Service, not the Capitol Police. There was not supposed to be a march. The police were assured there would be no march. And when Ali Alexander was promoting the march, and Alex Jones was promoting the march, this violent faction, they were told, knock it off, it's against the law, you can't do it. And they started promoting it signs, bullhorns, you name it, picking up on the president. Uh, and then the president said, we're marching. Yeah. Of course, he didn't. Right. Because <laughs> remember, he may be orange, but he's really <laughs> yellow. You know? Well, if, you mentioned some comedic moments here. You know, if there is some black comedy in this fiasco, I have right. to say, Matt Gates of Florida, trying to convince us that what we just seen was the work of Antifa, has got a ra- right. is right up there. Their whole operation is denial of, of reality, so why sure. is this any different? So then we get back to, again, to Georgia, and what I'm concerned about here are the two points. One, that Trump created this madness, because it wasn't that the march ran out of control. This is important. The march itself was an out-of-control event. What did you expect to happen when you have an unpermitted march, no one's ready, no one's prepared, (laughs) 
you send thousands of people over a mile and a half. It's, it's, it's a big route. It's a mile and a half to the United States Capitol, uncontrolled, no monitors, nothing. What exactly do you think is going to happen, especially when you've whipped up people, many of whom you know are armed? So it's important to understand that Trump himself set this off. And he's coordinating with this violent grifter, Ali Alexander. And again, the Georgia Republican Party and the Republican Senate campaign were working with this guy. He's not some type of uh, Otre renegade. He's got the White House, the president, the Senate campaign, and the Georgia Party. I've been to a few demonstrations in, in my life. I don't recall anybody attending them with baseball bats and hockey sticks. <laughs> You've never been to a hockey game. <laughs> yes. Let's remember that when you send people off who you know are armed and whipped up and angry, what do you expect to happen? So again, I think that there's a misunderstanding that that march was, it was a march out of control. No, the march itself was the out-of-control event, and that was called for by the President of the United States. After warnings, it would be dangerous, it's illegal, it's wrong. So that's important. And now we can shift back after the fun and games, Georgia, and what happened there. Yeah, let's talk about Mr. Raffensperger is now being hailed as a national hero in 60 Minutes for his standing up to Trump, which I'd give him credit for. But there's more to the Raffensperger story. Can you, can you flesh that out for us? First of all, his name isn't Raffensperger. Everyone calls him that. His name is Raffensperger, and he's, that really <laughs> is his name, Perger. And he's the Persian general of Georgia. And by the way, when people say, where did Donald Trump get this crazy idea that there's all these fraudulent voters? The answer is... Brad Raffensperger, the violently partisan Secretary of State of Georgia, who came out in September, McCarthy style. I have a list of a thousand people who voted twice in the presidential primary. Here's proof of, of all the fraudulent voters. The New York Times ran it, the Washington Post ran it, uh, CNN ran it, everyone ran that story. The thousand, here's the proof, a thousand fraudulent voters. Do you know that not one American reporter, not one, ever asked him, could you show us the name of one of those illegal voters? <laughs> and since it's a felony crime to vote twice, and you have their names and addresses, of the thousand, how many of you arrested? Wow. Wasn't this on 60 Minutes? Weren't they asking about the thousand? And he sort of confidently says, no, there was two. Or that was, I'm sorry, that was dead people. But they were crediting him with uh -huh. responding to Trump, that Trump said, all those dead people vote. And, he, and they said, told Trump, no, that's not true. And we said, people are voting twice. They said, no, that's not true. Well, where did Trump get it? He got it from Raffensperger. <laughs> oh from the, so what he's, what's happening here is Raffensperger in private is telling Trump it's BS, but it's Raffensperger's BS. Wow. Now, it's more than just BS. It's almost stole the election. And I'll tell you why. See, people think, oh, well, because there's a limit. You have to understand, Raffensperger knows he's being investigated by one, by Greg Palast and the Palast investigative team, ACLU, et cetera, we were working with, Black Voters Matter, NAACP, we're on to this guy. He stole 100,000 votes for Trump already, but it wasn't enough. You can't steal all the votes all the time. That was the point of my book, How Trump Stole 2020, yes. ending with they can't steal all the votes all the time. You can overwhelm the steal. And in Raffensperger's case, the ACLU issued my report that he had illegally and wrongly removed, are you ready, 198,351 voters from the voter rolls, illegally, wrongly and he was sued in federal court by Black Voters Matter, by the 
rainbow push by Voto Latino now and the Southwest Voter Registration Education Project, a very fancy name for uh, SV Rep, which is one of the big frontline Hispanic voter organizations. Now, suit in federal court, put these people back on the voter rolls. The problem is, of course, you know how courts don't move exactly fast, so uh, it was very difficult. So the judge said, I can't give you an injunction, but I'm asking the Secretary of State to sit down with Black Voters Matter and Greg Pallast and his team of experts and fix the list. They're off by almost 200,000 people denied the right to vote. Now, who are these people? What are their registrations? I don't know because I made a big point of not looking up anyone's registration. But apparently the other side did, Mr. Raffin's perjure, because who provided his lawyers? Not only did the state have its lawyers, but the Republican National Committee came in, and I kid you not, into federal court, do not put these voters back on the voter rolls before this election. That's what they're pled to the court. Don't put the voters back on the voter rolls before the election. Now, who was removed? People that they said had left Georgia or left their county, like Atlanta. Now, look, if you leave Georgia and you vote in Georgia, that's a crime. Did 200,000 people, are they attempting to, to commit a crime of voting from out of state or from the wrong address? Well, who are they? I was at the polls when a lot of these voters were told, you can't vote, or given a provisional ballot, which is then thrown away. You can't vote, including the woman on the cover of our report, 94-year-old woman who'd been voting, Christine Jordan, been voting at the same polling station 50 years. This is Martin Luther King's cousin. Martin Luther King's cousin is thrown off the rolls. Now, I mentioned that before, but now we had this report that came out. So since we last talked, I went down to Georgia. My team was down there for the entire runoff. The judge said, you guys got to get together to straighten this out. So with cameras rolling from CNN and, and our own cameras, et cetera, and I was working with Democracy Now!, with our cameras rolling, we went upstairs, and I say we, Green Team of Voting Rights Lawyers, uh, Barbara Arnwine of Columbia University Law School, and the head of the National Bar Association, uh, Fred Gray, who, by the way, represented, 90 years old, represented um, Rosa Parks in the Montgomery boycott. These are legends of voting rights. So they went up to Raffin's Perger's office, this great hero of ours, to re return these voters who you know, are overwhelmingly black, Hispanic, and young. Mm -hmm. How does that happen? Put these back on. So we're in the Capitol. We're across from the governor's office and go into Raffin's Perger's office, and it's locked. Lights are turned off. The blinds shuttered, closed to avoid meeting with us before the election, hiding from us. So then Latasha Brown of Black Voters Band says, I, I think I know where they are. We went to another building, another uh, low-level office, and there was the director of elections <laughs> hiding out. And we said, come here, camera's rolling. It slapped him with legal papers, and, and I said, listen, we've got people like Christine Jordan. We've got people like Ishkar Diaz, uh, Mr. Samuel, um, Ashley Jones, all these people who you said left Georgia, and we have photos of them and videos of them at the houses you said they moved out of. And they're telling us, I've been here 10 years and 20 years and 30 years. He says, well, give me, give me their names. And I'll, I said, will you put them back on the voter rolls so they can vote? He says, well, I'll, I'll take a look at, at it and see if, you know, check it out. I said, wait a minute. I asked you if they did not move, and here's the videotape that they didn't. Will you put them back on the voter rolls? We'll consider. I'll give me the names. Right. I said, we'll actually have 198,000 names, and we gave him a thumb drive with 198,000 names. 
I said, while you're putting the other four back on, there's 198,000 more. But again, they did everything to avoid, so they stalled and stalled. Are we going to get these people back on the voter rolls? Probably, but it's after the election. Uh, we're going to be fighting it. Now we have another court date. So while it looked very close for Biden and very close for Ossoff and uh, Warnock, uh, Biden only by 12,000 votes, it's only because of the mass attack on voting by this great hero, Brad Raffensperger. Yes, he stood up to the president because he does not want to go to prison. You do have to understand that what the president was asking him to do was a direct criminal violation of the Voting Rights Act. A criminal violation. He understood that. Plus, there's all these people on a speakerphone. You don't have a conspiracy with nine <laughs> people on a speakerphone when you know that it's being recorded. Right. Raffensperger has enough sense to know... Am I being set up for, for jail time? After right. all, how many of Trump's associates have gone to prison? This guy did not want to join the prison pack and hope for a pardon like Steve Bannon is getting this week. So he's not a hero. He's just a guy trying to save his own behind. Um, plus, Trump was threatening him, and members of his staff were receiving death threats. Now, these are I'm going to tell you right now, these are creepy, partisan, Jim Crow operatives. They're not nice people. It's like Brian Kemp who is also being attacked by right. the president. Now, Brian Kemp stole the election from Stacey Abrams. Again, it wasn't, by the way, Raffin's purger who started this purge business. It was Brian Kemp, his predecessor, yes. the guy who named him to the post. The mastermind is actually from another state, a guy named Chris Kobach of Kansas. And I won a federal suit against both Raffin's purger and Kemp, saying that they had to open their files to all the communications between themselves and Kobach and his operatives who were involved in the purge of voters in Georgia. And Georgia was helping Kobach purge people in other states. They were running this national operation of eliminating voters of color. And we caught him and we got the information. This guy is no hero. Please. That's the problem. We've gone kind of Trump crazy. If someone gets in a fight with Trump, they must be heroic. Well, I'm sorry. Um, you know, uh, Flynn got in a fight with Trump, and that didn't make him a hero. These guys are criminals. When I saw this going down with with Raffensperger, I I just was I couldn't wait to get you on the show to to clarify matters. I'm, I'm glad you're setting the record straight. This is one awful person, and so we are still suing him in federal court to put these voters back on. Well, if you and Stacey Abrams can succeed, you may get that ruby red state of Georgia, you know, firmly in the purple category. People don't believe me, but it's really true. I'm actually very, very nonpartisan. I make a point of it. Let the voters choose. I find that when you let voters vote and you count their votes, that it tends to be the best solution. Let the voters pick the U.S. Senate. You know, if the voters didn't want Ossoff or Warnock, that's democracy. The problem is that Georgia doesn't have anything close to democracy. It has Raffensperger, Kemp democracy. You want a cute one from this guy, Raffensperger? Here's a great one. A couple Sundays before the runoff, the guy issues a statement on a Sunday afternoon, a rulemaking, which is, by the way, against federal law. You can't change rules on voting within 90 days of an election. He, so he came up with an emergency rulemaking that um, you couldn't register to vote in Georgia. This is before the cutoff for registration. You couldn't vote, register to vote in Georgia unless you also registered a car in Georgia. <laughs> I kid you not. Oh no car, no vote. I kid you not. Now, of course, they can't by law make you buy a car. That's a, that's a, obviously an unconstitutional poll tax of enormous proportion. 
But what they're saying is, if you, they can challenge your right to registration if you don't have a car registered on the grounds that you are now suspected of not actually living in Georgia. Now, we busted this, the Palace Investigative Fund. Again, go to gregpalace.com, you'll see this. Uh, the NAACP, the next day they were going to vote on this no-car, no-vote law or rule by Raffensperger, uh-huh. this great hero. They said, look, we know what you're doing. You don't have a single case, not one, of someone registering from out of state. Not one. And yet, if you have this rule, people without cars aren't, aren't going to be able to vote in this election, and you know it. Who doesn't have cars? Students. By the way, one person caught with this and almost lost their vote was my daughter in Savannah. Students. Um, people who can't afford cars. Low-income people, especially vote people of color. And then some urban dwellers in, in mid-Atlanta who live in the apartment buildings and use the public transport. In other words, they're all voters of color. Young, urban, poor, that is the color blue. This is the type of creepy, awful stuff. And then there was another one. And it's not just Raffensperger. For example, I was in Cobb County. This is Newt Gingrich territory. The Republicans had a heart attack when Joe Biden swept Newt Gingrich County. Like that? He swept it. And what was their response of the Republican burgers who run the, the county um, elections op? They had 11 polling stations for the general election early voting for half a million voters. That's not a lot. 11 polling stations. It's a big county. But they cut the 11 to 5. And all six stations that were closed were in the African-American neighborhoods. What a coincidence. What a coincidence. <laughs> so this is the type of games that they're playing. These are the heroes on 60 Minutes. Yeah. We ought to give them the Congressional Medal of Honor. They can wear it around their white hoods. <laughs> I got I correct it. These guys don't use white sheets to get rid of black voters. They use spreadsheets. So I want to correct it. You know, it's funny to hear you talking about Raffensperger being in hiding. We've learned lately that the congressmen that were under siege, began crafting the impeachment articles while the Trump mob was rampaging. Uh, there's got to be something gratifying in that. As we speak now into microphones, the House is, is, is imminently going to vote on articles of impeachment. And they keep talking about, well, thanks to the, your work in, in, in Georgia and others, uh, we're going to have a Senate that's blue. But Mitch McConnell is still a majority leader until the 20th. Can you walk us through what you think is likely to happen? Well, again, you know, uh, I, I, my job was not to turn Georgia blue, but to, to turn it over to the voters. A very refreshing thought I for stand Georgia. Corrected. you got to know that, yes. right? And there's no question that the GOP has been working hard with crazy, violent maniacs like Ali Alexander to eliminate Democratic voters. It's a highly partisan, nasty operation. Just to leaven it the other way a bit, why I don't talk about turning Georgia blue. Remember, my big investigations for the Guardian newspapers this year were on Alex Padilla and his vote suppression operation in California. Oh, I should say Senator Padilla. Oh, yeah, please. Let's talk about Senator to be Padilla. Yeah. The Brian Raffens perjure Brian Kemp of California, Alex <laughs> Padilla, is about uh, numerically is a little bit more of a vote suppressor than Brian Kemp. Okay. Democrats shouldn't be gloating over this stuff. And that's the problem. We have to all commit on a bipartisan basis to let people vote. You know, don't close polling stations. Don't purge people from the voter rolls. I don't care who it is. Don't play games with counting the ballots, Mr. Padilla. This is our issue. So, um, and by the way, if you want to see 
Meat and Black Lives Matter being locked out of uh, the Secretary of State's office. It's almost a slapstick comedy. Uh, there's a report from the program Democracy Now! that I was reporting for them, which you can also get at gregpalace.com. Well, you know, what will happen now? I can't say, except that um, there might be a temptation to stall on the articles of impeachment before they're sent to the Senate so that a new Senate will vote on those articles. Sure. Um, I, I know your plate's pretty full, but my producer suggested a while back that I send you an article about Mitch McConnell's re-election in Kentucky. He did come out light years ahead of the polling data. Is that something you're gonna, you are gonna might be interested in? Yes. Uh, I am not only interested in it, but remember, the Palace investigation, I, for seven years I've been investigating in Georgia. So that's when, when the runoff hit. And suddenly people said, Georgia's blue state? And the answer is, Seven years ago, I reported Martin Luther King the third statement that Georgia is a blue state if they'd let us vote. Mm-hmm. And I was the first person to put Stacey Abrams and, by the way, Reverend Warnock on national television mm. um, talking about Georgia as a blue state, but, that it, but the blue vote is suppressed. This is the issue. And again, I'm not trying to get blue voters. I'm just going to get voters to vote. I didn't look at voter registration, but the Republican National Committee is in court against me. So obviously they think that the purge was aimed at Democrats. So I'm happy to look at other states because, I, in fact, this year I was in Wisconsin working with Black Voters Matter, uh, Michigan, and reporting again for The Guardian from California. And I've done reports for BBC and Rolling Stone from, obviously, uh, Kansas and New Mexico and Florida, etc. So I am... I'm looking now at North Carolina, Michigan, Ohio, and I've been getting lots of reports. I don't have evidence yet, but I have lots of smelly reports out of Kentucky, so send me what you have. Okay. The FBI is currently warning us that the Trump's, Trump's base is not through. I, I've talked to some friends of mine in law enforcement, and they've, they're hearing the same things. There's fear of disruption of our state capitals. Well, what, do, what do you say about this, this imminent threat between now and, and Inauguration Day? And here's the problem. When the GOP blesses, and the president himself blesses, you know, violent con men like Ali Alexander, we've got a problem. You know, and they can't say, for example, as I said, you can't say march on the Capitol to angry armed people. You have the president of the United States blindsiding the police, you know, his, his boys in blue. But he doesn't mind putting them in danger even where one got killed, a couple are dead. It is a very volatile, dangerous business because it is out of control. I have no problem with protests, by the way. I have no problem with the Trump rally. I think that their facts are wrong. You want to rally and protest? We did, too, after the 2000 election, which was stolen. It was stolen. You know what my biggest fear is? I don't think that their violence is going to do much. Even in the Capitol, it was horrible that people died. And more will die because it was probably the ultimate super spreader event. Think about that. <laughs> exactly. Right? You got angry, unmasked people spitting and screaming and all over each other and all over the cops and everything else. I mean, how many people are really going to die from the COVID? One of the reasons, by the way, you couldn't have the march is that you can't have more than 50 people at a time march. So it's too big because of the COVID restrictions of the city. So this is endangerment. But I'm not worried that these knuckleheads are going to overthrow any government okay. or change an election. What I am concerned with are the Democrats. And what I'm very concerned with is that the Democrats have taken the line to a great extent that there's no voter fraud, but they're taking the line that American elections are perfect. They yeah. aren't. 
Vote suppression is real. Yes. There is still a debate within the Democratic Party. Most Democrats still think Stacey Abrams is crazy that elections aren't rigged. Yes. Remember, they may praise her, but they don't agree with her. They don't understand vote suppression. That's, there's voter fraud. Now, voter fraud is when an individual voter casts an illegal vote. They vote twice. They vote in two states. They vote from the wrong state. They vote after they've died. Whatever, right? That's voter fraud. The statistics show from Rutgers University that you're 500% more likely to get hit by lightning and killed by lightning than cast a fraudulent vote. Because you go to jail for five years and you have to organize hundreds of thousands of people to be willing to risk jail time. However, vote suppression, when you can remove 200,000 people at the flick of a button, just remove from the voter rolls. When you can move voting stations, when you can disqualify provisional ballots, 925,000 provisional ballots were disqualified in 2016. When you can disqualify mail-in ballots, Joe Biden, Joe Biden said, don't worry, your vote will be counted. Sorry, Joe, how many votes will not be counted? About 3 million votes were rejected. Let me repeat that. About 3 million mail-in votes were rejected, overwhelmingly Democratic votes. That's why some of these tolls were closer than they should. I'm glad you brought that up because Joe Biden was eight points up in the polls before the election and he won by four and a half. He won by seven million, pretty substantial, but he should, it should have been more like 10 or 11. So I'm, I'm glad you're stressing this. Yes, exactly. So that's called redshift. And one of the big reasons was the mail-in vote. According to an MIT study, in absentee ballot states, different than mail-in states, like California is what's called, is a, basically we're all mail-in voting. Oregon, the West Coast. Washington, Oregon, California, or let me add in Utah, Nevada, and Hawaii also, and Colorado are the states that have basically all mail-in voting. You get your ballot through the mail and you either drop it off or you mail it back in for the most part. Those states are fairly good with mail-in voting, fairly good. There's problems. But in the other states, you lose, according to MIT, you lose up to 22% of all mail-in ballots are never counted. Never counted. Half of those because they're not received on time which is a big problem in Georgia, and half of those because someone challenges your signature, you make a little mistake. My sister is a lawyer. She lost her vote because she didn't properly fill in a bubble because they have to be filled in a certain way. You can't put a check mark or an X. You have to fill in a bubble or the scanners can't read it, so mail-in ballots get rejected all the time. I was in Georgia when three people were about to put their ballot in a drop box at a polling station. I stopped them because two of them did not have return address on their envelopes, which they figured they didn't need. It's not a post office. Right. Well, they would have lost their votes. It's all this gotcha stuff. Mail-in voting is dangerous. Never, never, never go postal unless you really have no other choice because it is so easy to reject that ballot. Now, if it's the only way you can go, and, of course, COVID meant millions of us had to do that. I'm at risk, and I also you know, was in Georgia. I had to mail in. I had no choice. Uh, but I also know that it's really dangerous. Any little mistake and your ballot's discarded. Greg Palace, a lot's going to happen in the not-too-distant future uh, we're, uh, with the inauguration and, and afterwards how they're going to deal with Trump. Some, some are talking about a Senate vote that will preclude him ever holding federal office again. Uh, please come back in February and, and let's, let's go over some of this. We also want to add something that we... You scarcely touched on. Trump has blood on his hands, and and not just from this riot in the Capitol. If you look at how he's managed the COVID epidemic, there are 
literally hundreds of thousands of people that should be alive right now that are not thanks to his mismanagement. I certainly hope he's held accountable for that as well. Well, all I could do is a lot of people who are accountable there. A lot. And I just got news, and this is personal. I mean, I just got news an hour ago that an acquaintance of mine died of the virus in his early 40s with a 10-year-old daughter. What happened here is we lost more people unnecessarily than we did in Vietnam and the Korean War and World War II. Yes. Is it just Trump? I don't know. And that's one thing we've got to be careful of. We don't have the scapegoat, a guilty scapegoat. <laughs> but we don't want the sins of the Republican Party. Suddenly, Lindsey Graham is a man for all seasons. Brad Raffin's <laughs> sure. perjure, the, sure. the, the monstrous, racist perjure of Georgia is suddenly a hero because all evils are thrown on Donald Trump. No, no, no. We're not going to let them get away with that one. Yeah. There's a whole lot of people who need to, uh, who need to be held to account. I'm going to refer people to TrumpPandemic.net for more information about, uh, well, Trump and others, as you say. Yeah, well, it, it is the Trump-demic. There's no question about that. But it, I don't want to let the rest of the COVID Marys off the hook. Indeed. Greg, you do great work. Uh, we, we just appreciate you coming and speaking with us. And plug your website one more time. Uh, go to GregPalast.com. That's G-R-E-G-P-A-L-A-S-T. GregPalast.com. Greg, we're happy to report that, you know, you are continuing toward becoming a household name in this country, and we think that's, uh, that's, that's what it ought to be. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. All righty. Bye. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett.